All right, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Lawns Across America. Here we are in mid to late March 2023, and uh, today I got uh, some stuff to talk about that's been going on around my house, as well as I've got a full interview today with two of the scientists behind the Scott's Pro Vista grass. And when I say that, or the, the Scott's Pro Vista turf, when I say that, they have a St. Augustine as well as a Kentucky bluegrass. We get into that and talk about availability of everything from the New Texas variety all the way up to seed for the Kentucky bluegrass and lots of tips on how to take care of it. So that coming a little bit later. But I first wanted to start off with a note that I got in here. It's always nice to share successes. And this one came in from uh, two folks here locally, Lisa and Bill. And um, this is Lisa writing. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that our lawn is looking gorgeous right now. Amidst the horrible oak tree leaves, various shaded areas, grubs, weeds, and fungus, my husband and I have cracked our lawn's code for neighborhood domination. I got the Yard Mastery app after buying the boot camp and haven't looked back. In the beginning, I would watch the Lawn Care Nut on YouTube and print out the various articles from Alan on pre-emergence, biostimulants, and approximate dates to throw down fertilizers. Now I can use the app for most of my yard care needs. Now Lisa goes on to talk about how her husband and her, they tag team. They have 5,000 square feet of St. Augustine. She does all the research and purchasing and he does the applications and the mixing and all that. She says, my husband is the muscle. He mows edges, throws down anything granular and hose in sprays anything liquid. This time of year, the oak trees drop their leaves all over our lawn and we both have to blow and rake them off let the grass catch some sun. Although yard work eats up at least one day every weekend, the results are impressive. It is super gratifying to see the money invested in the products and the work pay off with such beautiful results. Please tell Alan how happy we are with our lawn. My husband has one specific request for Alan, more new stickers. His bumper isn't filled yet. If you ever make it over to I-75 on the East Coast, stop by and see us and our lawn regards, Lisa and Bill. And there's a couple pictures that they've sent there of their beautiful Dick St. Augustine grass over by there. I wonder how many of you all in the audience are coupling uh, your lawn. Coupling your lawn? Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Couple tag teaming your lawn, going after it together. I think it'd be really cool to hear from more of you all. If you want to do that, hit me up on Twitter. I'm A L L Y N P A U L, Alan Paul on Twitter. Let me know. Are you doing couples therapy on your lawn? Be kind of interesting. Super fun as well. Something to talk about with the Usain Augustine folks. I'm seeing a lot of this because uh, we got some late cold blasts. And when I say late, I mean, they're pretty normal, I think. But later cold blasts and some lawns up through Jacksonville in the north were dormant for quite a while and are probably still just now starting to come out of dormancy in North Florida. And then, of course, a lot of spots around Texas kind of loop lump all that together there. And then the Gulf states, a lot of Usain Augustine folks, your your grass is not quite greened up yet and so what happens is people get a little impatient they see some brown areas here and there and they're wondering is there something wrong no you just have to be a little bit more patient with the St. Aug let it wake up and really just blast it with nitrogen uh, the the greatest thing I found for St. Augustine grass and really most warm season grass in general is when it has a problem is to just let it grow its way through that problem and that's why I talk about the power of stolons and uh, stolons are above ground runners. They are, you know, uh, we also have rhizomes that are in Bermuda and uh, and zoysia and and also uh, bahia grass also has rhizomes. They're the same thing. Their runners are just underground. 
But uh, Centipede and St. Augustine, they focus only on above-ground stolons. And because they're only focusing on stolons, they're very aggressive, especially in terms of St. Augustine grass, and they will retake ground. So if you have an area that's died from insects, disease, whatever it is, rather than try to throw down a bunch of disease control and play catch-up, um, I recommend you just blast the lawn with nitrogen and let it grow through the problem, let it work its way through. Almost like feeding a cold. We used to tell us when we were younger, when you had a cold, just feed your cold, just eat a lot, just eat your way through it. <laughs> or, or some people that do a lot of exercise, if they feel sick, they'll try to power their way through it. They'll try to gut it out, right? And I like to let my lawn do that. Now, insects a little bit different of a problem because they continue to munch, continue to hammer your lawn. So if you have insects, you got to take care of that. But, uh, but again, let the lawn grow through the problems. And I think that's what a lot of folks are seeing. And I've said this before, you're just not throwing down hard enough. And that's really the key. Keep that lawn irrigated. It's been pretty dry here. We got a little bit of rain here and there. We've had cooler temperatures. I know there's a giant cold blast that's gone across the country. My friend uh, Luke, the turf king up over there in uh, northwest Indiana over by there, he, he sent me a text this morning that it was 11 degrees. I'm making this. I'm recording this on March 18th. 11 degrees. That's that teasing you friends up north that you guys get, you know, this time of year. I know how it is. You come out of the winter, right, and your skies have been gray. And you guys have had a warm winter, actually, but your skies have been gray. All you remember are the worst days. And then you get a few sunny days with clear blue skies, and it might be a little bit chilly. And this year, you guys got warm spells, like up in the 60s, like freaking daffodils are blooming, tulips are coming up, definitely crocus are up. You got blue skies and sunshine. Y'all are outside in your short sleeves, you know, drinking beer in your driveway. And then now you're hammered on March 18th because you're not past that danger zone, <laughs> you get hammered with 11 degrees gray skies. And man, it's like, I don't know, I can't think of a worse feeling, you know, um, than having to to stop the springtime in your head, especially because we just got a, a clocks of setback. It's 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 lighter later. So now you, if you traditionally work in an office where you're driving home at five o'clock, you get home 545, six, it's still light. You're like, oh, man, I could capitalize this, but it's freaking 11 degrees out there, and the skies are gray, and uh, whew, it's tough. But we're not we're not far off. I, I remember when I lived in northwest Indiana, we used, they used to say don't plant flowers until after uh, Memorial Day. Is it Memorial Day? Is that the first one, or is it? Yeah, Labor Day's in the fall. Memorial Day, which is what? March, May something? When is Memorial Day? Probably close to like Cinco de Mayo, isn't it? May 29th. How do I not know that? The end of May. Jeez. Don't, you'll get old someday too. So I always think of Cinco de Mayo, May 5th. That's when I used to plant, right? That's when all the dandelions are bloomed. You guys know I talk about Cinco de Mayo. For Northwest Indiana, for some reason, that out that latitude, Chicago. So that latitude that goes all the way across there, skirts the bottom of Lake Michigan, and then heads straight over to, I don't know, what's over there on the other side, New York? Does it go? What's that latitude? Man, I'm just doing all kinds of Google. I need to hire a Google person, I think, you know, just to kind of see. But it's kind of fun to talk about because I like to talk about when is the main dandelion bloom. And I've always noticed over the years in Crown Point, Chicago, it's right around that first to second Saturday of May every year, which is also the Kentucky Derby. So it's all that kind of same time in there. So let's see. So Crown Point's literally at the bottom tip of Lake Michigan. Chicago is on Lake Michigan. So it goes across, so same latitude as like Toledo, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, going across. So yeah, it goes, it does, it runs basically right into 
like uh, well, that's New Haven, Connecticut. So it's a little north of New York. So the same the same latitude across is like New Haven, Connecticut, Providence, uh, Rhode Island. You know that area there, all the way across. That whole thing. If we were going to go back the other way, let's say we were going to go back west. So going back on that same latitude in Northwest Indiana, Chicago. So we're going to run into Des Moines, Iowa, um, Omaha, Nebraska. So that kind of latitude right there, you guys tell me if I'm right. The main dandelion, I'll be interested to see. This is another one you can hit me up on Twitter or wherever. Wherever you guys see me commenting. I'm big on Facebook. I'm all over the place. But leave me a comment. And and you can't do it now because this is March 18th. But when we get to May, when is the main dandelion bloom? And you can't be tricked because you get a few dandelions early, especially with the way the weather was this year. I'm sure dandelions got started early. And just so you know, when you get this cold blast at 11 degrees, the dandelions just chill. Literally, they just stop, you know. Um, I, I've told you guys how I used to give out awards to my true green guys to bring in the first yellow dandelion flower because that always meant we were going to make the most commission <laughs> for, selling, for selling lawn care. And there would always be an early one. Some guy would find on the side of the highway in like February that was heated up because it sat, it grew in between like the highway, like on, on 294 on the tollway. Some dude stopped. Jeremiah Glosser, shout out, I remember, stopped one time on the side of 294 under construction to grab a dandelion that was growing out of the side of the concrete barriers so he could get his $25 spiff on his check in late February. So there's always going to be that. Don't be fooled by that. And don't be fooled if you got, you know, early dandelion push. There's still going to be a main bloom. And I'm wondering, so you all across that latitude that I just talked about there from Des Moines, from Omaha to Des Moines, across to you know, uh, Moline, Davenport, over to, obviously, Chicago. We'll shout out Valparaiso across to Mishawaka, Indiana. Yeah, right? A little bit north of Fort Wayne, maybe Angola, Toledo, um, Sandusky, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, all the way across there, and keeping on going into, well, what is that? What's in the middle there? I should know my geography. I'm looking right at a map. Michigan over there somewhere? <laughs> I might have skipped Michigan. I sure did. Anyway, into Pennsylvania, but really over to New York, Hartford, Connecticut, Providence, Rhode Island, up into Boston. Tell me if your main dandelion bloom blasts the first Saturday in May. So let's see when that is. When is the... I'm just rambling today, y'all. I hope that's okay. Just trying to give you some something to think about. We're really just talking about geography and when is the main dandelion bloom coming. When is... When is the Kentucky Derby 2023? It is, so it's Saturday, May 6th. Okay, so really, see, we get to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. We get to celebrate the Kentucky Derby all on that same weekend right there. So I predict that that Saturday, May 6th, really that week, I'm going to give myself a week window. So May 1st through May 6th, that will be the main dandelion bloom across those latitudes that I just talked about. So y'all let me know, send me pictures, whatever, is that correct, or is it going to be earlier this year or later? Of course, you want to get in line with what your main dandelion strategy is going to be if you're in the north. That's really the main one people talk about. It's so funny, when I did work in professional lawn care, if you want to call True Green that, which it is because we got paid for what we did, so that makes it professional. But it was so funny. People, they they really would. They would, they would, they would act like there was nothing wrong with the lawn. They wouldn't care about it until that dandelion bloomed. And, you know, you got about two and a half or three weeks of massive dandelion bloom, even to the point where they go into the white puff balls, which are the seed heads. And then after that, you just have these white stalks that hang there for a long time. And, you know, these are usually people that don't mow, but every two or three weeks. 
and they call in and they're like, True Green, come out for uh, my first $29.95 application or first half price application. I want to get rid of all these weeds. And you got to get here tomorrow or I don't want you. Get here to, you know, two days from now or I don't want you. We used to hear that all the time. Like, ma'am, listen, your lawn has been there. You lived in your house for like 20 years. Your lawn has been there all of that time. But now you just got to call today. And it wasn't always ma'am. Sometimes it was sir. Now you got to call today. And if, and if I can't get there tomorrow, you don't want me. But then again, that's the kind of company True Green was. It didn't come across as a company that deserved respect. We didn't sell in a way that commanded respect. We didn't set ourselves up as an authority in lawn care. We were the price leader. We were the cheap people that could get there quick and could hammer out your dandelions. And we were very good at killing dandelions. We used a weed control called Escalade 2 back then. High concentration of 2,4-D dicamba and something else. What was it? I don't want to say what it was. Let's look it up. Escalade to herbicide. Flaws, not flausafop. I want to say flausafop, but I don't think that's the right word. New Farm, Escalade 2, SDS and label. It's, uh, yeah, 2,4-D, floxapir, fluoroxapir. That's what it was. I don't know why I said flausafop. Fluoxapir and dicamba, but it's got 39.5%, so 40% 2,4-D. And it's got a really low use rate, maybe even like one ounce per thousand. That's why True Green liked it, because you got high concentration of 2,4-D in there, which is the main killer, decent concentration of dicamba at 4%. Those, those are the ones that are going to get get the dandelions. And that's really the thing that most people had concern with were dandelions. And uh, it also would do pretty decent dinging on a Creeping Charlie uh, or, or Ground Ivy, as they call it. Or because I think it might be wrong to say creeping Charlie. I don't think I'm allowed to say creeping Charlie anymore. But uh, but I can I can say ground ivy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, also we get on. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. They are similar to ground ivy violets, wild violet. It would do okay on that. Um, you really need triclopyr to, to knock those out in the cooler weather. And um, I can't remember. Um, if the 2,4-D's in the ester formulation, it'll do a little better. I don't know if it is in Escalade. I've already closed out the label there. But anyway, that was a fun little trip down memory lane. Those of you that are listening here, you can pretty much get anything that's got 2,4-D and dicamba in it if dandelions are your main thing. You want to spray them, and you'll notice them twisting and curling very quickly because the way they work. The way we used to describe it to folks at True Green is we would tell them the, the weeds aren't going to die right away, but they're going to twist and curl because what happens is the weed control, it acts like, we used to say it acts like a steroid, but that's not really the truth. But what it does is it causes the plant to in, implode, explode, implode. Uh, it just basically puts all the processes in overdrive and it blasts itself out. It grows itself out so fast that nothing can contain the growth and it just kind of blows up from the inside out. That's how those work. So very effective on dandelions over by there. So that was kind of an interesting little start, little rant. Uh, I wanted to talk about, if you haven't seen on my channel, I just published a, uh, a video on getting rid of moles. For the first time ever, I had a mole problem in my lawn. Now, even when I, li when I lived in Indiana, no moles. Uh, we had cornfields behind us, and I guess all the, the traffic and everything that would go through there, no moles in the cornfields. 
and um, it just wasn't. It was an issue. We, it was it was not an issue in our subdivision. We were very lucky. Subdivisions a couple miles away would have tons of mold problems, especially where they had like where they had preserved some woods, some natural woods or natural prairies, things like that. Those folks would have problems with moles, but never had a problem in my at my house in Crown Point. Uh, I have seen mole issues in the past at my house here in Florida, but it's been over in the St. Augustine grass. And when I say I've seen mole, mole issues, I've seen trails along the side of my sidewalk because that's what they do, I've learned, is they bumble around and they just, they they kind of figure that that when they hit something hard, they know it's a sidewalk, they know it's a driveway, so they know that lawn is on the other end of that. So they can always use the sidewalk, hitting the sidewalk as a point of reference, I guess, for where their territory is. And uh, I've seen where they've tunneled on one, has tunneled on the side of my St. Augustine before, but it doesn't affect it because, again, I mentioned those above-ground stolons. St. Augustine grass can do really, really well resisting things like that because it's just those stolons are so widely um, spread out. The roots are here. They're there. They're everywhere. So if the mole may root up some St. Augustine roots in one place, it's got plenty of, like, backup roots, right, all down the length of the stolons to continue to be healthy and not necessarily show the damage. Now, I'm sure it could be that a larger mole or a larger mole infestation could affect St. Augustine grass in a negative way. I'm just telling you that I know I've seen the blowouts at the sidewalk before, so I know I've had a mole messing around in my St. Augustine, but it's never done visual damage, so I've never had to do anything. But this year, as I started mowing my zoysia lower, it became readily apparent very quickly that I had a mole. And when you watch the video on the Lawn Care Nut channel, and you see how small the mole was I caught. He did a lot of damage. That's the one thing I learned from this is that one mole can, can they, I mean, the dude must be rooting 24-7 if you look at uh, how much of an area of my 2,000-square-foot area he really chewed up within just several days. So that was kind of interesting for me to learn. Um, but I, I in, in going, having to go after him, and by the way, my zoysias mowed lower, one and three-eighths inches, so it's very evident, very apparent when he mows. That's the first thing I want to say. If you watched my video, I'm not sure if I was clear enough to say, uh, you need to be observant of the mole because you need to find that main pathway. I said that quite often. But the best way to be observant is after you mow. So when you mow the lawn, you're pretty much going to push down most of whatever tunnels they've made, most of whatever uh, indentations you're seeing. You're going to take care of that when you mow. And so, and when I say mow, it's not only from the mower itself. I go ahead and stomp the tunnels back down. And the reason I do that is because then I can be observant the next day to see where the new push-up is. Where has the lawn been disturbed freshly since I just mowed? And that's what I mean by being observant, is you're going to watch for those signs. And that's how I had noticed the main superhighway, I keep calling it, where my mole was traveling. Because I every time I mowed, I watched. So that means I had to wait two or three mowings to make sure... And get this right. And that's going to be the hard part for some of you because you want to go out there and get rid of that mole right away. So that's the first thing I want to make sure I stress. Got to find the superhighway and you do that by being observant. And the best way to be observant is right after a mow. Now, I talked about the research I did. I looked at some of the different ways that people had suggested to get rid of moles. And I will tell you the first suggestion I got was from my dad in North Carolina. He's got a lot of mole problems because he lives in the woods or right outside the woods, right? So there's just moles naturally living there. And he uses those sonic, sonic, uh, sonic mole. Here, I'll just look one up because I want to make, I know you guys can picture them. They're the spikes, right? Are they sonic mole spikes? Let's see. Sonic mole spikes. What do they call them? What do they call them? Solar mole repellent, sonic gopher repellent, vole chaser, mole deterrent, sonic spikes. <laughs> that's a, that's a typical Amazon keyword stuffed 
uh, title. But uh, yeah, so they're called solar-powered mole repellent spikes. Well, these are solar-powered, these here. But my dad has ones that require batteries. And here's what he's told me. He says they work great, but you have to replace the batteries. And he says whenever the batteries go dead, the moles come back. And he can see, tell. So he kind of knows when he needs to change the batteries out because the moles will come back. He'll start noticing the damage again when he's mowing. So those do work according to my dad. The thing with me was, as I mentioned, I wanted to be able to find the dead body because that would be proof that I actually eliminated the mole. The spikes, you can say, yes, they worked. I know they worked. Number one, I don't want to have to mow around something like a spike. I don't want to have to change batteries, that type of stuff. So I get it. This is a more humane way if you're looking for something like that where you don't want to kill it. But to me, this is a pest. This is a rodent pest. Um, you know, it's 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 just it is what it is, right? Uh, I don't see this any different than rats or mice, which are other rodents that I would kill uh, if they got in my house or around my house or were doing damage uh, or such things. So I didn't mind that, but I really wanted to find that body. But my dad did say that those spikes do work. So if you're somebody that's looking for that, now how far apart they got to be? I don't know. He's on 1.65 acres, and uh, he's got enough spikes around to take care of that. And uh, he does say they work. Now some other things people have used are the poisons. I'm sure the poisons work too. Strategically, you would just want to know where the superhighway is, and you'd want to place the poisons around that same kind of way. Uh, and and again, you would know if, if you just didn't experience any damage anymore. But for me, I wanted that immediate gratification, so I didn't use the poisons. Then there's the other thing is I've seen people use, say they use juicy fruit gum. That totally seems logical. Like if you just think about it, like juicy fruit has a pungent odor to it. Not pungent, but a sharp odor, a sweet odor. It tastes good. And we all have gone through, if all of us 80s kids anyway, were lied to and told by doctors and our parents and television that if you swallowed your gum, it stayed in your gut for seven years. I wonder how many of you remember that. And so that's why they would tell you not to swallow your gum. <laughs> and so I think people think, well, if it would stay in your stomach for seven years, even if, if you don't believe that anymore, it's just, it's in your mind. It's logical then that something that is that indestructible in the human gut would probably kill a mole if it ate it. So, you know, seems logical. Does it work? I don't know. I wouldn't have any way to prove it. And again, I didn't want to let this mole do a bunch of damage while I figured out if juicy fruit was going to work. There's also things you can spray on the lawn, I guess. One of the things people will say is you could eliminate their food source. This is a little bit of a myth, I believe, in that, you know, the big one people think about are grubs. And I've even heard people say, if you have moles in your lawn, you definitely have grubs. That means you have grubs. I've seen them say it like, as soon as somebody goes, how do I get rid of moles? This will be like on Facebook. Somebody will be like, oh, get rid of the grubs. You'll get rid of the moles. That's actually only a partial truth because moles eat other things like earthworms, right? And you don't want to get rid of earthworms in your in your soil. I'm sure they eat different insects that can be there. Uh, I don't know. Do they eat nematodes? I don't know, but they definitely eat earthworms. So not only grubs. So to actually say, well, you got to treat your lawn with a chemical to kill grubs to get rid of moles, I just... I think that's probably the worst way to go after them, honestly. If you have a grub problem because grubs are damaging your turf, that's one thing. But to treat and spray a chemical, that's going to have residual effects and kill other things in your soil. Just so you can get rid of moles, I would rather kill the mole and not the things in my soil. And again, if you have grubs, that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different um, process, a whole different strategy. And you would go after them if they were causing damage to your lawn. The other thing, this time of year in the spring you know, the grubs that are there are, are last year's grubs, right? Because of the life cycle of grubs. And so anything that's there this year is last year's grubs. And so they're not really going to damage my lawn. I'd want to kill them. I don't know. It's not like the carcass goes away right away. Would the mole continue to eat grubs that were dead? Probably. It just doesn't seem like a, a smart way to get rid of 
a mold to me, especially because grubs are not the only thing they eat and I don't want to kill earthworms. So I just, I don't really subscribe to that philosophy. I never did from the beginning. I've seen, I saw a video where somebody was cutting up bars of soap, Irish spring, and putting that out there saying that would kill moles. Again, seems logical. Irish spring, uh, if you've ever had your mouth washed out with it from the 80s, maybe maybe all of the, the crazy urban myths we believe are from us 80s kids, us Gen Xers. Maybe we're the ones spreading all this stuff because we've all had our mouth washed out with Irish spring. Dial soap is really the worst one to have your mouth washed out with, the old school dial yellow soap. Ugh. I can't even use that stuff to this day. Um, the smell of it just it makes me want to retch. <laughs> but Irish Spring was a close second. That was a bad one. Lever 2000, another harsh soap to have your mouth washed out with. So all of these seem logically speaking like they would probably kill a mole because they, they ruined our childhood and gave us PTSD as 80s kids. So, yeah, I would probably think that would handle a mole, but I don't know. Maybe not. I saw the other one where uh, people want to hook up some sort of um, uh, a boot to the exhaust of their car or truck, and then you run um, you run a tube down into the mole's hole, and uh, and then you blast them out like a like an exhaust enema through the tunnels and blast him out. That seems like a lot of work. I will also tell you that. Um, Exhaust will burn your grass. I know this from the Freedom Factory because every time they have events out there, cars get wrecked, and sometimes they stay on for a little bit of time, and the exhaust is is hitting the grass. It will cause dead spots, as well as I used to have a Toro uh, time cutter. Yeah, Toro time cutter, 42-inch zero turn that I don't know why they made the exhaust the way they did, but it blasted straight down, and if I left it parked for more than 30 seconds in any spot in the lawn, it would cause a burn spot on the lawn, the exhaust from the zero turn. Yeah, that's, and I'm not the only one that's ever experienced that on that uh, time cutter. So exhaust anywhere near the lawn doesn't seem right to me. It also seems like that type of fumigation would kill other things in the soil. Just doesn't seem healthy. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I have sandy soil too. So the, the tunnels are, are, are sort of collapsed. I don't think they're just these wide open, like PVC tunnels, like you might be picturing. So I don't necessarily know if that, particular way of getting rid of moles would work so for me again i went with the scissor trap i did use the other mole trap that has the spikes that come down but again my soil my soil is is clay and sand mixed i'm 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 near the manatee river so we have a lot of clay here actually most of sand, uh, florida is literally beach sand you could go to parts of central florida and dig and you will have white beach sand uh i i need to probably do that because it surprises people um some of the sand here is is a little black. It's got a little organic matter in it. In my area, though, I have a lot of clay because of where the Manatee River is. It's it's overflowed clay here, and we have some sand. If you guys ever watch videos on YouTube of these guys finding these giant mastodon teeth, are they mas megalodon? Not mastodon, megalodon. It's a giant shark from the prehistoric times. You see people finding these giant teeth that are worth like 20, 30 grand. Those are, they're finding those within like 15 miles of where I'm at. I'm in Lakewood Ranch right now here at the office. All of those teeth are found around here in the new subdivisions that are coming up. If you see guys on uh, uh, the Jug Squad, they're big ones. Those guys are from Indian Rocks Beach. They do, they've done a lot of videos on this where they're out in these areas and they have water and they're blasting it against these dugout areas. Those are new subdivisions that they're in where they're digging out for lakes or whatever, drainage ponds. That's where they're finding the megalodon teeth. So this area of Florida across the central part of Florida from, and when I say the central part, I don't mean central, central Florida. I mean, I mean, across the state, you know, um, 
you can look up where the Manatee River is. That area there must have been like a breeding ground for these megalodons. So anyway, they have clay soil. So what I was getting at there with that other mole trap, the one that uh, the, the Victronics or whatever it is, you have to put the spikes in the ground and then those spikes have to hold in the ground for you to set the trap because you have to pull it up by the spring. Well, because I have clay content with sand in it, they will not hold. If you had all clay soil and you hammered it into the clay, I'm sure the spikes would hold. But for me, they won't hold. So when I pull up the spring to set the trap, it actually pulls the spikes out of the ground at the same time. If you go watch the video, you'll see that's the struggle I had. So the, the scissor trap seems much easier. The springs are also a lot more powerful. It would literally break your finger um, if you got yourself caught in there. So that's uh, some things I'm talking about with the mole. I will say I did not expect to catch the mole that quickly. Uh, I did everything that I said. I actually, and I, all that, that I've taught you here and in my video was stuff I researched myself on YouTube. I did the same thing that you all do. I went to YouTube. I researched all the different methods. I watched different videos and I listened to what people said and what they liked about their different method that they used versus others who was successful, who wasn't. And again, the big thing was finding that main highway, which I knew I found, but I didn't necessarily have confidence in my trap setting ability. I didn't know that, but that scissor trap, it's literally foolproof. It it goes right over, it straddles right over the tunnel. The plunger goes down in there. You don't have to dig the tunnel out or anything. Um, I just think it's the best one. So pretty fun to do that, pretty interesting. If I have another mole come in, we'll just make another video. I don't know if you all have noticed, but this year the content that I'm making, because I've hired a camera guy now, we're just calling him camera guy. His name is Nick. <laughs> we'll give him an official title at some point. I don't know what that'll be. Uh, producer, maybe that'd be a kind of cool, cool title. Um, but uh, but he's really helped in that he's shouldering all the editing and creativity. And he's much more creative than me. He's better with a camera. He's better with editing. He's better with whatever sound effects, special. He's just better at all those things. So I hired him, and he's got a good eye. And he he's enjoying lawn care too. He's learning all about lawn care, and I can tell he's really enjoying that. So all of that is translating to really good content. And what it allows me to do is get back to what I originally used to love doing, which was just Every video every week is me just talking about what's going on in my own lawn or in my own life because I am going to plan a trip to Northwest Indiana here very quickly to do video there, right? This is just what's going on in in my life, and I'm in Northwest Indiana. I'm working on lawns because I'm going to work on lawns wherever I go. And so with Nick being the camera guy now, it's allowed me to do that. So that's why I did this thing on moles. It just came up. I had moles. So, hey, I'm just going to do a real-life video about what I'm dealing with in my real-life lawn, and I think... That is authentic, and I've always wanted to do that. Last year, I focused a lot more on content that was about how do we get the right click-through rate? How do we get the right you know, view-through? What's the best title? What's the best, what are people searching right now? And I, it's SEO, right? And I'll do some of that. But man, that just, that burned me out, to be honest with you. That That's a grind. Rather than what I'm doing now, where it's like, oh, I'm actually talking about things I'm dealing with in my lawn at this particular time. That's more realistic, and it's more fun for me to make that content. So I hope that's coming across, and I hope you'll share my content if you haven't in a while, and you do like that kind of kind of stuff where it is, it's my real-life lawn, what's going on, or as I travel, here's what I'm seeing in lawns here and there, which I love that too, walk and talks, hotel lawn reviews. <laughs> I'm kind of known for doing that. I love doing hotel lawn reviews. Those are fun because we can learn a lot because those are public places. And so you're seeing real life trampled lawns and how they're dealing with it. So got off on a little tangent there, but that is everything that's been going on lately. And so I hope you've enjoyed that, that little thing on the moles. All right, y'all wanted to take a quick second here and break in to talk about this week's sponsor of the podcast. That is Cujo Yard Pants. 
A lot of y'all have probably heard of the Cujo brand prior, and they have just come out in the last several months with some Cujo yard pants. And when they sent me a couple to try out, I've been wearing them in videos recently and decided to go ahead and make a quick partnership with them because I really like the pants. And I'm not just talking about the way they feel. They are like this ripstop fabric that's that's uh, light and airy. And so, you know, being in Florida, there's a lot less swamp ass there. But more than that is what I call the drape. And if you don't know what the drape is on a pair of pantalones, the drape is the way they fall. And I just like the drape on these. They they are cut for a man. And, and, and the best way I can say that is it seems like nowadays a, a lot of pants... Uh, trousers that men may buy, whether it's work pants or work trousers, workout pants, workout trousers, jeans, even even suits, even thousand dollar suits. Everything is cut to this skinny proportion to where it's almost pegged down at your ankle. So everything is like in this. It starts out okay in the waist, and then it just just pegs down to the pants. They peg the pants at the bottom. Now I'm an '80s kid, so. So I grew up doing that, but but we used to peg on our own. We used to do our own tight rolling, we called it, and that was the 80s style. Nowadays, it seems like all pants, whether you're buying pants for someone my age or someone that's 19 years old, they all have this, this pre-built pegged bottom. Like I said, even in suits, you see it, like skinny cut suits, it looks really strange to me. The, the Cujo yard pants are not like that. They're cut, what I would say, for work. Now, I don't want to use the word boot cut, but they're kind of like that. I mean, obviously, you're going to be wearing some boots or the Cujo Yard shoes, which are a, a cross between a tennis shoe and a boot. So you're going to need some cuffs at the bottom that can can drape over that. But more than that, it's just the way they look. I just, I don't know. There's something about a man's cut pantalone that just, that just I like. And these have that, that drape the way they fall and go straight down to the ankles, no skinny, weak-looking cut. So, yeah, they are comfortable, though, and they come in two great sizes. So there's uh, there's the nice gray that you could wear. I mean, you can go straight from, like, church to out in the lawn to, to you know, making Sunday dinner in those uh, to, the, to the, 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 the tan camel color, I call it. I don't know what – I should probably look at their website and see what the official color is, but – they're really nice, this tan color they have. It reminds me of like a desert tactical tan color. They're kind of a brighter tan, and uh, I really like that. Khaki, maybe khaki is the right, beige? I don't know if beige is the right term, um, but khaki, khaki, I think uh, uh, matches that there. But all kidding aside, I really do like the Kuja Yard Pants. They're very comfortable. I've been wearing them pretty much everywhere. And uh, I recommend you get a chance. You get a chance to check some out too. You you could go to cujo.com forward slash lcn right now, and you'll get ten percent off site wide, so you can get anything you want. But get the Cujo yard pants again. Cujo.com forward slash lcn. Check them out. Wear them for work. Wear them out for play. And uh, just know that these are cut for men. Project lawns. A lot of y'all been asking me about those. There's really not too much going on with the project lawns yet. I've done. A couple applications but because we're in the dry season and my and the lawns are being irrigated but they're just not showing any improvement yet they are I shouldn't say that they're showing improvement in the color but they're not showing improvement in the thickness overall yet because the grass is just not trained to run very fast especially Bahia which is the main project you guys are asking about and then I have another one that's Pro Vista so those two have just not moved very much yet so I'm gonna wait until I have actually some results to show you so I can go back and go all right look Here's the reality of it. I started back in January on these project lawns, but 
everything we did was a slow buildup, right? It was to get us ready. It was to, to get the grass ready so when the rain did start, it could go bam and fly out of the gates. And that's kind of what we're doing. I'm not saying we're not seeing any results. We are. It's just not anything that's worth making a video about yet. Um, the Bahia grass lawn, actually, the Bahia sections of it, they're much thicker, actually. But we had a huge infestation of signal grass that is hasn't rotted away yet. It kind of died from the last cold blast we got, and 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 it's just there. It hasn't rotted away yet. So I have to figure out what we're going to do there. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go in with weed whackers and just get rid of the brown. There's still some green there, and then I'm going to seed into it. But i got to wait till the pre-emergent wears off. I put a pre-emergent down about two months ago now, a three-month dose. So I need to wait until that wears off, and then we'll seed that, and then we'll get some of those areas growing in because it's not even really a fully Bahia grass lawn. It's also got some big patches of Bermuda that we have to deal with. So again, it's not just like I found a Bahia grass lawn that was 100% Bahia that was crappy with weeds. It wasn't. It was a Bahia grass lawn that the Bahia grass areas were beautiful. The back lawn of this lawn is very beautiful, but the front, the, the parts of the lawn that were Bahia are beautiful, but the rest is invaded with these giant chunks of Bermuda and giant chunks of dead signal grass. So I don't know. I got to work through that first. We're kind of figuring out that strategy as we go. But that's been the the, the holdup there. The, the Provista lawn that I have uh, that was destroyed by chinch bugs last year, it's actually starting to show some some progress. But again, not as fast as I would like because it's just we're not to the rainy season yet. It's crazy. As soon as it starts raining, y'all with any warm season turf, it, it, really any turf at all, rain is this magical thing. I couldn't tell you what it is. Except that it's just it's 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 touched by the wings of God, the wings of God, the hands of God. I couldn't tell you, but something about rain triggers grass to really take off. There, your irrigation that you have, even if you've done the perfect tuna can test, you have more heads than you need. Your overlap is perfect. All these things, it will never replace rain. It will never be as good as rain. I don't know if it's the pounding of the rain, if it's the salinity of the rain, if it's the alkalinity of the rain. If it's the the temperature fluctuations, the humidity fluctuations that come with the rain, um, it's the shade uh, from the clouds that builds all day that triggers the grass that rain is coming. I don't know. Same with you. You can smell rain coming, and, you, and it makes you feel a certain way, right, when you smell a rainstorm coming. It does for me. Floridians know for sure there's something about a storm brewing and the smell in the air. You can feel the temperatures drop it gives you this really cool feeling i'm assuming the lawns i know turf is the same way and so it just really grows in an interesting way much better than your irrigation will do so that's what it is right now we're so dry our irrigation is just limping us along and there just isn't much to show so that said i will get over and see my bahia grass lawn uh next weekend possibly so i'll see if we have any more i mean i can call and find out too um, and then, uh, I need to go look at the, the Provista lawn. I haven't been there in a few weeks. I sprayed some weeds there. So I need to go check that out. And then I have another project that I won't even reveal for a while because it is a real disaster. So I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing there. I've put pre-emergent down there just to stop things for a second, a little bit of furt here and there. I'm kind of just doing furt for now just to see what happens. Cause it's such a salad bar. Uh, and then I have another one I'm working that we're going to do some plugs at, which I was going to work on today, but had to had to, to, to cancel that. So in a couple weeks, we're going to start doing a plug project at another lawn, some St. Augustine plugs. But again, I need to really wait for the rainy season for that because if you're going to plant plugs, why are you going to sit there and try to water all this stuff? Just just wait and plant your plugs when you have that free water, that free rain that's going to come. And if you're wondering when our rainy season starts here in Florida, it's like late May, but it usually really, you'll start to get a little bit better of a pattern in April. 
So I'm thinking once we get to April, I'll kind of look at how early the rainy season is going to kick in. And then May, when it happens, and then late May, early June is really when we're off to the races and running. So, all right. With that, I think let's get into uh, let's get into the podcast that I did with uh, the guys from Scotts. They're going to introduce you themselves, talk about them. I've been working with these guys for a few years now. You know, I have been working with the Scotts Provista St. Augustine Grass since it started here in Florida. I think I was one of the first lawns with it. Definitely one of the first publicly available lawns with it. We also did put it in at the Freedom Factory. You'll hear me mention in the end, we did go visit the Freedom Factory after we finished this podcast, and it was right after the Tour of Destruction went through. I did go over and take a look with them. The lawn overall survived. The biggest damage to the lawn was from the skid loaders that were used to take the wrecked cars off. They kind of just drove wherever they liked. So we got a lot more ruts. And that's really the big thing at the Freedom Factory right now are just massive ruts. It's going to get to a point eventually where I will not be able to mow it anymore and we'll have to do something. But for now, I'm just bumbling over it out there. And the grass is green because I do keep it green. So what grass is there? It's got some beautiful green color to it. And uh, I'll probably do an update on that coming up. So with that, let's get into the interview that I had with scientists here from Scott's Pro Vista. All right, y'all. So welcome. I'm really glad that you came over here. You're out uh, on the road, which we'll talk about what you're doing and, and what's going on this time of year. But before we do that, I want you guys to introduce yourselves to the audience and uh, just let them know who you are, what your background is, and what you do for Scots. So uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Matt. Oh, sure. Uh, absolutely. So no, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Matthew Koch, uh, Matt. Um, uh, currently with Scots, been with Scots for 11 years, actually just uh we have an R&D TV in our building that we watch, and it shows everyone's anniversaries. So I actually just watched it the other day to make sure I was right. Uh, 11 years, it's hard to believe the time goes by so fast. Um, but my, my, currently, my role at Scott's, um, director of our biotechnology group, um, our lawn fertilizer team, our lawn seed team, and then also our cannabis genetics program. But we're going to talk about the other kind of grass today. <laughs> so uh, we'll stick to lawn grass. Um, but my background, uh, PhD in plant breeding and genetics from Rutgers University, specialization in turf grass, variety development, and uh, came on to Scott's to uh, really kind of kickstart this, this biotech thing and uh, been, been doing it ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're going to talk a lot about what you do today. And uh, now we'll talk to Lucas. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, Lucas, Fresh Hour. Been with Scott's uh, going on 10 years now. So he's, I came in uh, under Matt. Working mostly on the bluegrass side of things at first, but then as time went on, we saw St. Augustine start to pick up and get start gaining more traction than actually the bluegrass, and it needed a person, and that person ended up being me. So I kind of switched over to working with St. Augustine in 2016. Went a couple of years trying to do that from Marysville. Of course, you know, as you know, we don't grow St. Augustine in Marysville, Ohio. It's a little bit too <laughs> a little cold. Bit difficult. Yeah. So. Uh, Spent a lot of time down here in Florida because that was kind of the epicenter. And then eventually it got to the point where I was coming down here so often. I'm like, guys, why don't I just move down there? Because I was coming down here like once a month, you know, dealing with stuff. And so moved me down here in March of 2019. So going on my fourth year down here. Yeah. How do you like it so far? Love it. You're in a popka. Yeah. Pretty country over there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my favorite band, Stick Figure, is coming to a popka this summer. Oh. For reggae action. <laughs> I'll have, so, have to watch for that. But uh, yeah, so Lucas's claim to fame from my memory was he did the, uh, 
you did the time lapse of the Pro Vista next to the yes. Floratam, and that thing played on every <laughs> every advertisement I saw at every conference. Yeah. For <laughs> probably still is playing on that mm -hmm. one. I'm sure you can find right. it if you dig for it on the internet. Somewhere. <laughs> it's out there. So going into that, I think because we have some folks in the audience that may not have been listening to my content for very long, they may not even know what Pro Vista is. So why don't we just give what's the what's the Scott's definition of Pro Vista? Sure, um, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. So uh, ProVista is our, our brand for our biotech, biotech grasses. Um, it is the overarching brand that we've given, the name that we've given to these grasses. Uh, specifically, we're talking about our bluegrass and our St. Augustine grass that have been launched under that brand name. And both of them are unique, unique to the market, unique to the, this uh, turf industry, uh, in that we are, they are biotech and we have inserted uh, two genes, two uh, technologies into the, into the plant. Uh, one of them gives us the ultimate in weed control, the complete weed control uh, with a glyphosate tolerance um, as another tool in your toolbox. And then also all these great benefits that come along with a dwarfing gene that we've inserted uh, that conveys lots and lots of consumer benefits and user benefits. Um, the one is the major claim though is half as much mowing and i know mm -hmm. it's something you talked about in the past about how conservative that claim ends up yes, being. yes it is yep. um it, it is a very conservative claim i'd say in saint a and in bluegrass so um but in general that that is our that that's the technology in a nutshell and like i said there's lots of benefits that come along with with that uh dwarfing gene um but it's it's that one-two punch of the two genes we've inserted that is provista yeah, so, and I, you're right. The, I always say you guys definitely undersell the mowing. <laughs> Sometimes I forget I have Sene in my backyard. I don't have to mow it, <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's fine. Um, but I think one of the other benefits that comes along, and I always thought this was something that you bred into it, but I maybe not, is the fact that it's a deeper, darker, bluish green color. Is that mainly because the what the chlorophyll's packed tighter because it grows slower, or bingo. is that something you bred in? Which is nope, it? that's bingo. Uh, yeah. Hit nail on the head. It is very much a result of the technology that we've we've uh, inserted. Um, the dwarfing gene that we've uh, used is a uh, gibberellic acid oxidase. So gibberellic acid. If you remember back to your old plant science classes, uh, plant science one hundred and one, GA gibberellic acid is your plant hormone responsible for cell elongation. So we have essentially reduced the amount of functional GA, reducing the amount of cell elongation. But what we've not done is uh, impacted cell division. So still mm -hmm. lots and lots of cell division going on. So you can think about it, more cells per unit area, more chlorophyll per unit area, darker green color. That, 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 so it very much is a causal effect of, of our, our GA gene, our, our dwarfing gene. Our That's gene incredible. is basically doing what Primo, a PGR does. Exactly right. And that's why I tell people it's a built-in plant growth regulator for those of you. And what's nice about that is for somebody like me, I like to throw down. Yep. I like to, I say that nitrogen drives the bus. I like to ride the nitrogen train to terror. And so with that, I can hammer the Pro Vista and it just keeps eating. Yes. Stays nice and dark green. Doesn't grow any faster. Uh, big, big, fat grass blades. Yeah, you know. I think that's the key, right? Is that you don't see that flush, that that, that insane flush when you when you fertilize in most lawns. You know it. You know you fertilize because right. you're chasing those mows, and in Provost, you really don't have that response. Yeah, and you still can mow it a lot. And here's the other thing I've noticed is, and I've experimented with this a little bit. I can mow it lower as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, other, I mean, Floratam, no way. But you can train some others to get a little lower. But it seems like Provista doesn't mind it if you uh, yeah. if you want to go a little lower. Yeah, uh, 
I'd say that's true across across the species now. Um, even our bluegrass is one that seems to enjoy a little bit lower height of cut. Yeah. So that's so. Let's talk about that because I want to. I always like to stress that this is a brand, and so when they say brand, it's not a St. Augustine grass or a bluegrass. It's Pro Vista, and just depending where you live, would be the Pro Vista that's been bred or that's been created or been whatever for you it's for your area yep it's appropriate for your region exactly so what are what are some things with that in in mind from where you guys started because you've both been here over a decade so from where you started with provista and what your original goals were or your original direction what's changed or adapted or what's what have you learned over the last decade with this brand because this is not Mm -hmm. a way grass has been sold previously that i know of yep so what have you learned so there is some confusion sometimes because, you know, like you just said, it's, we're using the same name across species and we're even going to start doing it across varieties because there are going to be some, like we'll, we'll talk about Texas later, it's not the same thing Florida has. Right. So there is some confusion that could happen with that. I don't think we've really ran into instances where it's been a problem, but some people kind of scratch their heads about it and they're like, wait a minute, how, how does this work? And it, it, it's really just what you said. We're basically going to give you what is best for your region. That's what's going to be available in your area. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 that's exactly right. I'd say, what have I, what, what have we learned? Um, one of the things that has come screaming to the forefront, I think, is um, how impactful that that uh, dwarfing gene really was. Both both benefits and some things we have to overcome. Some additional uh, management practices that we kind of had to teach ourselves and learn so that way the end user could be successful. Um, I think when we, when we entered into the, the development of the project, we were like, redu- reduction in mowing. Mm-hmm. But there's been all these benefits that have come along with it. You mentioned the dark green color, the density. The density is unbelievable yeah. compared to a conventional. You know, you take some of these, really what we started with are conventional without genes, and you compare it directly to the transformant, and it's it's night and day uh, in density. Um with the plant, it seems to uh, not spend energy growing tall. It spends it kind of tillering out and stooling out and filling right. out. Um, the shade tolerance, I know uh, we've to- you've mentioned that before uh, on on the channel um, mm-hmm. about uh, just the ad- additional benefit that comes along with with the uh, dwarfing shade uh, trait. Um, as far as a, a shade tolerance, I mean, completely redefining uh, what is possible with bluegrass. So. Uh, that's been really special. Um, so on the negative side, I think there just have been some management obstacles, let's say, or learnings to overcome. Um, things like winter dormancy or, or breaking, breaking, uh, uh, coming out of dormancy. Spring right, green up, right, yes. spring green up. Thank you. Um, across the board, our grass is doing exactly what we engineered it to do. It's doing things slowly. Um, so you have to kind of incentivize the grass to do to do <laughs> things you have to you have to kind of force it to do things uh, at a faster rate if 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 you want it to green up like like green up um, another one i think that uh, especially in bluegrass is um, the the flowers in the turf mm-hmm. uh, the the plants will throw throw uh, flowers in the, in the spring and again just like we've engineered the plant to do the flowers don't get very tall they stay real short, so we've had to kind of uh, engineer. We have to. We've had to um, create a, a, a management plan uh, to overcome those those obstacles that are directly related to the technology. So the technology, I think, lots and lots of great benefits, but I, I think there were some surprises along the way of just some management 
learnings we had to yeah. we had to go through. You're just uh, it, writing best practices essentially it, for it, your grass. It behaves differently. Yeah. It, it just it, it is a different grass. So it just it requires some additional uh, learning, some additional uh, communication. Mm-hmm. When you go back to, I, I like talking about this because again, this is I like the word incentivize the grass. So I think we're talking, uh, from my experience, we're talking about the St. Augustine grass. If it if you if it does go dormant, which Jacksonville area, it's going to go dormant down here. It's hit or miss, right? Yeah, Depends. I if, call it kind semi dormancy. Yeah, in Central Florida. It's it's a, it's our own transition zone, or I call it the frost mm-hmm. line, as I for I have all these stupid terms for it. But <laughs> if if it if it does go dormant, as long as you hammer in the nitrogen early. You can push it to wake up at the same time as pretty much everyone else. Yes. But, but I mean, and I say that I'm talking, I've, I've done a pound two weeks apart, a pound and then wait two weeks and do another pound, you know, wow. um, and really push it out. Mm-hmm. And, and it's fine. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't, nope. uh, doesn't do anything bad to it. Now, I think well, the other fun part is when you're saying the flowers and just so y'all go, y'all know, those are the seed heads. We're oh. talking about the Kentucky bluegrass now, right? It's, it, they grow, they don't grow very tall. So I'm, I'm telling people, mow your Kentucky bluegrass at three, three and a half inches, mow it tall. And so they're mowing all spring. It goes to seed and that those seeds never get above that three inches. So they just sit there indefinitely and it starts to look a little thin. I can understand. Yeah. I've seen it at my they buddy Jake's brown, house. And then yeah. that detracts from your quality. Yeah. So yeah. you're just trying to get them out of there. Yeah. yeah. You talked about the dark green color. If there's something to be said for that contrast, you have this beautiful dark green backgrounds and boy do blemishes or like brown right. seed heads really show up nicely on that and that nice dark background so our, our our management practice for it is exactly like you said you're mowing you're mowing high mowing high when you see those flowers you come in and you mow you mow them out you reduce your mowing height mow them out mm-hmm. for multiple reasons for the for the look but ultimately it's really for the the health of the stands the, those that reproductive structure is an amazing energy sink. It's just sucking those plants dry. It, the, the, those right. plants are putting so much energy <laughs> right. trying to be reproductive. The best thing you could do is stop them from doing that. Get remove that. Remove that energy sink, and all that energy that it was putting trying to be re- re- reproductive goes back into making that plant look really good, yep. right into its own health. So, it, dual benefits. But yeah, uh, that that's very much a an outcome a result of our dwarfing trait, but it's something we had to learn and we've built a management plan around it. Now, see, for me, that's fun. Like if I had this grass, I'd be loving my spring scalp. Yep. Now, I don't know if you call it a scalp, but I mean, you can go down to an inch. You're not going to hurt it nope. and you're going to get those flowers out of it. But this is a fun chore for me. Now in the past, I would have been scared to scalp. Well, I wouldn't scalp conventional Kentucky bluegrass anyway, but if I did, my first thought would be, Oh no, I'm opening the canopy up. I'm going to allow crabgrass to get in now because I'm opening everything up, the sunlight's going to get deeper, faster, the crabgrasses, whatever other weeds. Well, now, here we are with Pro Vista. I don't care, because I have a tool to control that. Kind of fun, huh? Yeah. So it's just a best practice guide, essentially. And, and, the, and yeah, kind of neat how nature works that way. You yep. know? Even though you guys moved it a little bit to the left or right, it still, still works out. Yeah. One of the, I mean, you mentioned crabgrass. I think one of the nice benefits is, at least for now, crabgrass takes a whiff of glyphosate and it it dies, you know, it yeah. doesn't take much of it. So, uh, yeah, that's a pretty easy one to kill, uh, now with mm-hmm. Pro Vista. So good stuff. Let's, I do want to talk about Texas real quick because yeah. so back when we started working together that we only had the, the Pro Vista St. Augustine here. And, um, I think we did a pretty good job selling it. Lucas said that the, the St. Augustine, you know, the demand picked up a lot. I take all the credit for that. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure the is coming, right? <laughs> But uh, but now it is in Texas. So tell me how how far along is that? What uh, what have you learned there? And and what 
it's adapted differently. So just let's talk about that. What's the availability and, and that kind of thing so, so far? Kind of going back to the beginning, the variety itself was more or less bred for Texas. And kind of spill the beans here, we basically took our Florida product, which is that Floritan base, and then we crossed it with some germplasm that was already proven in Texas. And what that did was that germplasm was, which is just different ver- experimental varieties, is diploid, like palmetto, Raleigh, uh, those varieties. Okay. They're more cold-hardy than Floritan. Yep. So what that the first thing we get by doing that is getting more cold-hardiness into this kind of Floritan background. Because to go to Texas, you're going to be getting into a colder climate, mm-hmm. especially if you're trying to grow all the way up into, say, Dallas, those areas. You need some cold hardiness, and that's where Raleigh and Palmetto shine compared to Floritan. So that was kind of step one. And then, you know, it's traditional breeding at this point. It's no longer us inserting genes. Now we're just traditional breeding, trying to bring in some characteristics from some of the other grasses. Okay. And this is also a, a new thing that hasn't been done before because we actually took the Floritan base, more or less, our technology, and then we crossed that to a diploid. Now, Floritam is actually what you call a polyploid. It has, instead of, two, you know, one set of chromosomes from its mom, one set from its dad, Floritam has multiple sets, like three plus. Okay. Okay. That's one of the reasons Floritam is sterile. It does not produce any seed. It will produce a seed head, right. but there are no viable seeds in there. It's completely sterile. But there, there's some technology out there that allows you to, what they call it embryo rescue. So Floritam can still outcross. Like, you know, pollen's floating through the air. It'll catch it. And an embryo starts to form but it aborts because of something to do with it being polyploid, multiple ploidy, mm-hmm. right? And that's why it's sterile. But th- you can actually go in and rescue that embryo before it dies, before it aborts, and save it. We call this interploidy or an interploid hybrid. The idea behind it, it's really great because the polyploids like Floritam have some good characteristics. They've got drought, just overall heat. They're usually better about insects, better about disease. But then your diploids, on the other hand, they've got the cold, They've got uh, shade. Mm-hmm. So if you can bring all those good traits together into one, you've got something pretty special. And it's the uh, researcher we're working with there were kind of the ones that kind of pioneered the whole thing, but they had yet to get to a point where they released something that worked. Their, their first attempt, it was kind of everything was good about it. The drought was great and everything, but they didn't go the extra steps like we do to make sure it actually produces sod in the field. And uh, that's, that's where the variety fell apart. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Well, then we came to town with our staff, and like, we're like, hey, st- stop doing that. Let's do it with this and see what we can come up with. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing traditional breeding work, and we started screening through these hybrids. This goes way back to 2015. Uh, and then every year there was a new cycle of hybrids coming out starting from 2015. Well, in 2015, we started looking through the first set, the first generation, we'll call it. And we, we kind of landed on one that we really liked. It was doing good in Texas. It did good in Florida. It did good at some other locations in the southeast. So we kept watching it, watching it, watching it. And finally we got to the point where we're like, I think this is the one. And then at the same time, we're also watching all these next generations. And we're not seeing anything that's, that's really exciting us that can live up to th- this first one. And so we, we've kept going, kept doing the testing. Everything was check, checking all the boxes. Finally, we said, you know what? I think we've got it. This is go time because it's, it's done everything it needs to do in Texas. It's got drought tolerance. That's, it's comparable to Floritam, if not slightly better. If you bring in the beauty contest side of things, it's better than Floritam because automatically it's darker. It's more mm-hmm. dense than Floritam. So you've got that, but it can survive as much drought as Floritam. So we've got that. Check that box. It's producible. I've been producing it here in Florida for a couple of years now. It's been 
we've been working with a producer in Texas for a couple of years. Definitely producible, no issues there, like they had with that kind of first variety they tried to release. And then it just kept checking more and more boxes. The shade um, works there just like it does here with our current product. Mm -hmm. All those things are all there. We've seen um, increased disease resistance. It's even it's even darker color than what we have here in Florida. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> matter of fact, we were looking at today every trial we looked at it in, no matter how old or how young the trial was, you can pick it out a mile away because it's the darkest green thing there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just it's a special grass. I think that, uh, one thing that just say I want to make sure it com comes out is uh, w w this was very much a collaboration. Uh, this development of this next of the, of the Texas product, we leveraged uh, ver very heavily uh, the Texas A and M program. Texas A and M's program, their their turf department is I mean, second to none. I mean, it's it's a great program, and uh, it was very much a collaboration with them, for us bringing our ProVista technology, but leveraging their expertise in uh, in breeding in St. Augustine grass breeding. Uh, like Lucas was describing this idea of embryo rescue, you know, yeah. leveraging the, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. best of the best to develop the, this next variety for Texas. So it is very much uh, using uh, tex Texas uh, germplasm for Texas. So yeah. Yeah. is this uh, is this this embryo rescue and this kind of thing? This is stuff they're doing in a lab. Yeah, it's all petri dish kind of stuff. Really? Okay, and they yeah. got to get to it before it self destructs or self-aboard they get to mm -hmm. it prior to that they yeah. kind of save it they pull it out and they'll put it on a media that it can grow on wow and culture it from there so yeah. so i'm lying to people when i tell them there's no viable seed from from uh floritam because there is one they just have to rescue it and <laughs> create it More and, that. yeah <laughs> yeah extreme circumstances right, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. extremely extreme so mm -hmm. So the, the Texas product, I mean, it sounds awesome, and I love that it's getting better and better. makes me want to have it now. That's what's going to happen. All my Florida people are going to be wanting your Texas variety. You're 100% yeah. you're right. That's uh, how we are, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. But is it, uh, so how widely available, is, are you able to say, like, how many acres you have? Yep. Or, so or yet somewhere in the neighborhood of 300. Okay. I think there's going to be some limited availability this year of that 300 acres. But the reason why there's not going to be widespread availability is because most of the growers are very much bought into it. They believe in it. They want to keep what they have to use for further expansion. Mm -hmm. They're actually afraid that they're going to sell out and not have anything left. That's uh, how much they believe okay. in it. All right. No, I believe it. I mean, the, the ribbons do take so long to grow back together. That's and the idea. Such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's exactly the idea. But no, uh, it'll... it'll I think we've already sell, sold some, some of yeah. uh, initial sales in Texas. There is a guy in my Facebook group. He posted the other day that he is the first in Texas, according. And I, I need to ask him what the sod farm was he got it from. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. But he said he's the first. And I was like, I'm glad it's one of my guys. I you know? like that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Because uh, like Lucas said, it's special. Yeah. So 300 acres. And then how's the Florida side going? Is it still expanding, move, growing strong? Anything different there? Change? What, what, how's no, Florida going? I think the going? sales are pretty steady, really. Yeah? Yeah. Some growers are, they're actually increasing their sales, and, you know, it's the classic, you know, it just depends on the grower, really. Some of them are increasing, some of them are decreasing, and a lot of them are flatline. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm still a big believer, as you guys know. Um, and I guess let's, because I have worked with the Kentucky Bluegrass as well, uh, did that at the Millennial Farmer's Dad's house. We did from seed, which was a huge lesson learned. A couple yeah. of lessons learned there. It came out beautiful eventually, but I love, lessons learned there. I love that. And then did the sod with my buddy Jake. Thank you guys for hooking him up. We had a great time with that. Cool. And that's where I learned about the seed heads and oh, stuff. Oh, yes. And, and he enjoyed learning about it, and now he knows. And so, you know, doing his thing. So how's that going? Like, where did... 
did it it started in Ohio, right? That's where your first grows were, right? Makes sense. And then yep. how, where are you at now? Where are you going to? What's the availability that way? Yeah, so uh, bluegrass is a pretty cool product. Uh, I mean, I I have it on my home lawn. Uh, I, I put it on my lawn. You know, we talked about the claim, uh, the conservative claim, okay? Um, I mowed my lawn six times last year uh, <laughs> in central Ohio. Uh, the neighbors are drooling. So, yeah, it, it, it is, we talk conservative. It's conservative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the bluegrass, you're right, started in Ohio. That's where it was created. That's where all the breeding work was yeah, done. Right, yeah. um, and uh, we then go into some limited production of it. Um, and boy, did we have learnings uh, when we went to produce it. So I'd say, you, you ask about availability. Uh, availability is still, it, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to come by. Uh, sod is a little bit easier to come by, but seed is, is the hard part to come yeah. by. Um, and go into into why again we talk about the learnings the outcomes of the dwarfing trait boy what an, what, a, what an outcome this one was uh maybe we should have seen it coming a mile away but uh we dwarfed the plant uh we just talked about how the he seed heads don't come out of the turf well in production we have the same problem the seed heads uh -huh. just don't come up i don't know if you've seen a traditional uh production field but Flowers, the, the seed heads will come up, will like come up, yeah, right, yeah. waving in the in the breeze. Yeah. There you yeah. go, right, you know, up, up, up past your knee, up to your hip. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, Provista flowers without help uh, are you know an inch an inch tall. So combining, uh, cutting that field, combining oh. it uh, <laughs> became a a, a nightmare. Uh, right. And we had to innovate around that that piece, okay. uh, and play some really interesting tricks and some things you know that we do uh, applications that we make, and we deal very very closely with our farmers. But um, what, if you want to know really what why why is there no bluegrass seed? It was a long time to learn how to produce that seed. It was just different. Into it was sod. Yeah. It was, it was right. different. So uh, we finally have crossed uh, a, a major hurdle. We've really learned a lot in, in the, the way of producing the Pro Vista bluegrass seed. It is different. Um, and I'd say it's off to the races now. We're mm -hmm. finally at a point where we're starting to get yields that we feel, we feel good about. Um, so when you ask about why, you know, availability, that, that truly was the, the reason is that we... we we just didn't have any. We could. We had this great product. It works really well. Once you get the sod of it, really, really cool. But man, getting some seed of it was really, really difficult. Yeah, tough to harvest. And then once you do harvest it, then a little bit tougher to grow. Yep. Right. In two sod. Yep. And so yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah. So learnings, lots of learnings that you know we spent years developing the product and then once we had this product it was figure out how to how to deal with it. Well, and your your sod farm partners too. They they need to learn this Ab whole new way and, and if they're used to doing things a certain way i get it it's change Abs change is difficult absolutely breaking okay. that muscle memory right yeah exactly so now you've learned all of those things uh how how where are you expanded to what other states or you know so, where are you at now yeah so uh i i would say uh your question i, I i'll ask the same question because uh now that we finally have seed i'd say the the, the world's our oyster or let's say the, the united states is our oyster we're not gonna go to the world we're going to the united states so um now that we finally are, gonna, th this coming year will be first time that we actually have good amount of seed in hand. So I'd say we finally have the opportunity to expand. Okay. To expand beyond the very, very limited places that we've been. And it's been very, very spotty up till now. A couple mm -hmm. of sod growers here and there across the blue grass growing region. But I think this year, after harvest this year, I think it's finally when we'll start to see f full expansion of gotcha. it. Gotcha. Okay. Good. And then 
Is there plans maybe someday to sell this as seed like retail or is it thought no that it may not get that far? I I'd be I I'd be remiss saying never. Right? Yeah. I don't think you ever say never, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's something to be said for uh, while this product is new, while it's difficult to deal with, like you just said, it's hard to establish. It's bluegrass. Mm-hmm. It's not not necessarily anything to do with ProVista. It's just correct. Yeah, bluegrass. This, this, this is a hard. It's correct. a it's a hard grass to deal with. Yep. So while we're in this initial phase of it, while we don't have a lot of inventory, while we're trying to build a brand. Pro is definitely where we're, we're, we're headed. We're going to stick this this yeah. bluegrass in pro and let them be very successful with it mm-hmm. and learn how to be how, how to manage it appropriately, and then we'll see that trickle down to, to the more to the consumer market with seed sod instant lawn you know laid like carpet. I could see we're already seeing that in the consumer sure. space. Makes total sense there. I'm going to throw you a question at you on the spot. Are you looking at other varieties? Are we looking at a tall fescue? Or are we looking it. at a Bermuda? Zoysia? What are you looking at next? Love it. So um, you started by saying, you know, it's an evolving prog line. There's more things in the pipeline. And I'd say you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we're not done with bluegrass and St. Augustine grass. There's very much more things in, in, in other species in, in the works. Um, I always look at my bluegrass and I say, boy, wouldn't bluegrass, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if bluegrass had a, had a a pair, a match, oh, right? Uh, right? Something to go along with it. Mixtures, right? We talk about sure. the benefits of a mixture rather than a monostand of an individual species. So I would love to bring other things in. So start thinking about the things that you'd normally see in a sun and shade blend. Uh, that's kind of where where my mind is going uh, to, to get our bluegrass product to a uh, uh, expand the usefulness of the bluegrass product. Um, Bermuda is an interesting one that you mentioned. <laughs> um I don't think I'm going out on a limb, but I think we might as well just go right, right, right out and say it. Um, that's one we're not going to touch with the herbicide tolerance. Uh, too I, aggressive, or yeah, I, I think yeah, I think our, 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 the way we're looking at Bermuda grass is, boy, is it really hard to kill already? <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, it's really hard to kill already, and I, I don't know how good I feel about kind of removing another tool from the toolbox by making it resistant to something else. Okay, All right. so just, just exactly like you said, because it's so aggressive, because it is. Um, Bermuda grass. Um, I think we're going to stay away from that one for the time being. Yeah. I think Saint A. I like Saint A. There are some other warm seasons we'll be definitely playing with. Um, but I think one of the things that's on the horizon that is probably the most interesting is we're not just sticking to just these traits. Like we're going to start playing. The, Provis is a brand, and I think mm-hmm. what this was was a foray into the market to see can. Is this going to be accepted in the marketplace? Is is biotech grass accepted in the marketplace? And I'd say it, it is being accepted. And this has kind of given us the permission, let's say, to now go and develop additional products. And we are going to go to the biotech library of what's available in in, nat- in, in uh, the world and see what else we can do. So we could do flowers, vegetables. Uh, uh, let, let's no? let, let's say too crazy. Let's say turf, <laughs> but think about other benefits that we yeah. can bring to turf. Um, okay. Uh, Boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could start affecting some water, uh, water use okay. or nitrogen use or things like that. Um, bring additional environmental benefits or things like that um, that could really resonate. Uh, so I'd say we're kind of uh, we're at the cusp of doing some really special stuff uh, of, of bringing some really interesting technologies to the forefront. But this Provisa is evolving. It's it's very much going to be an evolving brand. 
man, I think maybe you guys should breed some different weird colors and make some cool mm. ground covers and make stripes. And <laughs> I love it. Crazy things. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was just showing him that I've got, because there were seven generations of St. Augustine, so I'm still looking at the later generations. Some of them turn purple or red in the winter, which St. Yeah. Augustine does that, but yeah. these do it all winter long every time, where in conventional St. Augustine, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it does it over here, not over there. These are just red, purple, all winter long. Yeah, Christmas grass. But I, I throw yeah, them away. I throw them away because <laughs> I don't want to get that phone call like, why is my grass red? So I throw them out. I, I, I think that's a smart <laughs> smart move. <laughs> but I like where your mind's going, right? It, it, yeah. it really is that kind of just opportunity to say, what else can we do? What other fun yeah, things can we do? You could do tree like? shrubs, whatever. Absolutely. I mean, all flowers, all kind of cool things. Absolutely. All right. Um, this is always a fun one that I like to talk about. So you, you guys... You have the microphone, and you're talking to mostly DIYers, but we have a lot of, of guys that also are lawn professionals in this audience. And so if you were going to talk to them and say, hey, if I guess we'll start with uh, St. Augustine. You guys, you're going to install this, whether you're a DIYer or you're a professional. What are a, one or two things that you would say, these are the one or two things I want to make sure you do when you go to install? So big one for me is... A lot of times we're talking about new developments, right? You're mm -hmm. talking about soil that's probably not got a whole lot going on for it. Here in Florida, if, if you know, you're talking about a sand with very little organic matter. Right. You've got to be prepared to fertilize that more than you would say a 20-year-old lawn that's just getting renovated or, you know, doing a rip and replace. That's mm -hmm. that's a big one for me. We see too often people are complaining like, why does my grass not look great? You know, I know somebody else, they did it, and theirs looks fine. What's the difference? Your soil is crap. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to build it up over time. And people, they, they don't want to accept that sometimes, but you're going to have to, mm. unfortunately. Well, that happens too. I've noticed with with the, the St. Augustine, uh, the Pro Vista St. Augustine, with that, it grows so slow. So I have a tendency to ignore it with the mowing. So that gives me a tendency to ignore it mm. with other things mm. like fertile. Now, not me, but I'm saying it's happened. I totally understand. Or watering, yeah. right? I'm just like, well, it's okay. It's it's the I good kid it. in the corner that yeah. doesn't need my, uh, my discipline. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Totally get it. So... Totally, uh, totally get it. From, any others? From a bluegrass standpoint, you know, I, I, Lucas is down here in Florida. I'm up in Marysville, so my mind always goes back to, to bluegrass. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess two things uh, on, on bluegrass, and again, maybe not necessarily anything to do with, with ProVista in general, but uh, we talk about bluegrass and just that it requires, it, it's a harder grass to establish time and time again. Uh, consumers and users just don't, put enough water on new seedings. Mm -hmm. uh, water is your friend on new seeding and uh, making sure that frequency of water, you're maintaining that the soil moisture, the surface soil moisture, so you actually get good germination, good establishment. If you don't get a good establishment, you're fighting it forever. Right. You're just fighting weeds, you're fighting holes, you're fighting those gaps forever. So getting a good a good take, getting a, foot, a good catch up front is really important. The other thing um, that goes along with that establishment um, I'm a big fan of mesotrione at establishment. Sure. I, I am a big fan of making sure that you're make, you're putting a mesotrione application out. You know, here I am wearing my Scotts thing, so I'll say you know one of our products, triple action for seeding. Uh, yeah, it's it, got it built in. It has yeah. the mesotrione in there. It it is game changing. Uh, a seeding with with mesotrione versus without uh, without is it's just it's it is a night and day difference. So. Yeah. Um, 
maybe a, a, a slightly expensive active ingredient, but boy, I think it pays dividends. That's another really good one. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth it because of that pre-emergence action. That's why Matt's talking about it, y'all, is it's, it's got pre-emergence action in there, so just helps to eliminate competition right from the beginning, which with bluegrass even more important because, again, it's not ryegrass that's going to germinate exactly. in like 10 minutes. Exactly you know, so. right. Exactly right. Go ahead, Michael, Put that. go ahead and put that one on there, and we'll say hello real quick. There you go. Say test, test. Test, test. Got you on. Michael's joined us from Scotts. Michael, tell everybody uh, who you are, what your name is, and you're live right now with 350 million people, so say hello. <laughs> well, hello, Just... everyone. <laughs> oh, listen to those pipes. <laughs> tell us who you are, Michael. Uh, my name is Michael Sanders. I am the National Account Manager for uh, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida for Scotts Miracle Grow. So, All right. And so what are you, tell me why you guys are in town. What are you even doing? Are you just, is this dog and pony show? Are you going to see all the big accounts or what? I'd say there's a little bit of that. Uh, boy, the world has changed. Uh, the COVID kind of came in and uh, shut us down from traveling. And um, I'll tell you, this is probably the first time I think I've been down here in three years. Three years down to the station, so yeah, I'd say it's a little bit of a dog pony show. It's going to see the the the, the installs, see see the trials, see things. Uh, it's like I, I'm seeing things for the first time again. Growers, you name it. Yeah. Well, we're gonna go over right now, and we're gonna go look at the Freedom Factory, which is not looking good. I'm gonna go ahead and give you all my excuses. <laughs> it's now. not the grass's fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not the grass's fault. Part of it is it did go dormant this year. Okay. And you know, it's the the wind just swirls in that bowl, mm. so that makes it worse. And so it went dormant. So. I had to get it out of dormancy fast, and so I started hammering it and pounding it, but I wasn't able to spray it with glyphosate because I've learned in the past if it's semi-dormant, yes. it, I can have like some it. some challenges there. That's so right. I have to wait till it's fully green and growing, and so that only happened a, a few weeks ago, and then I ran up against time. So there are some weeds in it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Color's good. It's always got good color, and of yeah. course, they've wrecked cars in there and driven <laughs> skid loaders over it and every other little thing. So It's a project. Yes. Yeah. But no, that's great that you guys are here. Michael, I wanted to give you a chance to, to talk. How long have you been with Scott's? Uh, almost a year. Almost a year. So, And where'd you come from prior to that? I was in the tobacco industry. Tobacco. Interesting. So what so, have you learned in your year coming over from tobacco to, to lawn care? What have you learned there? There is a lot more of a technical side when it comes to the sod side or the sod industry. Um, so that's a big difference. Um, and uh, I uh, there's a whole lot more of a relationship building when you talk about growers. Um, so that's a big plus for them and for us. Makes it a win-win for us all. I would have never thought turf grass was more technical than tobacco, but maybe just because there's so many varieties of, well, there's a lot of varieties of tobacco too. So there, there what is, makes it more technical? When you, when you look at the tobacco side of it, it's more machine run. So it's run technically, you can make a thousand packs in a minute versus sitting back watching your sod grow for 10 to 12 months. Ah, yeah. You're also obviously the after product with sod. You're relying a lot on the end user. Uh, for the success and for the reputation. Yep. And I understand that tobacco is always going to have a good reputation. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that is great stuff. So, well, Michael, I'm glad you got to join us here right at the end. We're kind of wrapping it up, but thank you for coming on. And uh, thank you guys. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. For both being here. Matt and Lucas, it's been great. I, I love hearing what's going on. Um, is there anything else that y'all want to throw out there? Anything you want to say? from whatever, mm -hmm. anything else. Just kind of playing off what we just talked about yeah. on bluegrass. You know, you talked about establishment, how important establishment is. When we saw it at St. Augustine Yard, we think we're instantly established. 
you're not. And that's not a pro-vista thing. I've talked to many practitioners here in Florida. They say they started St. Augustine Yard takes 12 to 16, 18 months to really behave like it should. Mm-hmm. And it's no different from ProVista. Can you speed that up? Absolutely. Nitrogen speeds yeah. it up more than anything. Yeah. Oh, I agree, though. It, it does. It takes a good year before you're like, because well, you'll have little low spots here and there. Mm-hmm. Spots are slow. Yeah. The the stolen's backed off for whatever reason. Yep. Who knows? It's just figuring it out. It's it's. Yep. I always and tell really, people. You know, I think that should be your goal is to get to that that stage of maturity because as you're getting there, that grass seems to be more susceptible to insects and diseases. You want to get there quicker, mm-hmm. as quickly as possible to get out of that phase. Mm. And once you, once you get there, then life gets much easier. I like, well, hey, if you're telling people to throw nitrogen down, I'm all for that. I'll put that on the loop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anything else, y'all? Yeah, we head yeah. Out? just just yeah. one note. When and I don't know if you guys spoke about Texas. Um, you yeah, did. go ahead. Yeah, but tell me, you fill me in what you know too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we've got eleven growers there, and it's up and coming. So for the installers and the homeowners, beware because it's coming and it is going to come in full force. It's it looks fantastic. Half of the growers are ready to harvest now. The other half will replant because they won't have enough for inventory for the demand. So that mm-hmm. will kick in more in 2024. Um, but for 2023, we'll be able to do about half the inventory that uh, we didn't anticipate because we didn't think they'd be ready. So um, we are looking forward to them harvesting soon. Are you, uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot then because of the way it went here. Are you going to sell directly to homeowners or are you going to sell only to in- professional installers? To professional start? installers. To start? Okay, and I understand. That's how we started here, so we're used to that. So if uh, somebody listening is a homeowner right now, should they call the sod farm? Should they call, who should they call to get a hold of a professional installer that can bring them? Because we'll sell you out probably after this podcast. I'm going to throw you, throw you a nice uh, bone there. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. If they, if they call the sod farm, they will definitely direct them to their installers. So do you have a primary sod farm partner that you want to direct people to like we did in Florida in the beginning or where should I put it, send them to? So it's, it's different. Yeah. Just yeah. the ProVista website? Yeah, if you go to the website, okay. they've got a locator in there, I believe, and they can put some information in there. All right. What's your cell phone, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Direct line. <laughs> uh, good. No, we, I, I'm, I know there's a lot of demand in Texas. I see it in my groups. I mean, obviously, a lot of people in my groups, they have ProVista because I have it, and so and they like to, to follow along with what I'm doing and they believe in it like I do. So I know there's been a lot of folks in Texas waiting. So this is kind of our first chance to my audience to say it out loud. Texas is go green. And you just really brought the thunder with that one, Michael. So again, we're going to we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Indeed from Rockwall North to uh, Corpus Christi South. So it's, it's coming. All right. We will love to see it. Awesome. Y'all. Thank you very much. We will head out to the freedom factory now and uh, looking forward to it. See you later. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all, there you go. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. A little bit of rambling in the beginning, a couple two-tree tips here and there. I'm going to also start firing up podcasts that are just straight Q&A. What am I seeing? Questions coming in this week, and how can I answer them? Until then, if you have any comments or questions, please leave those below if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, the best place to get a hold of me is Twitter, where I go by Alan Paul, A-L-L-Y-N-P-A-U-L, at Alan Paul, or you can just search Lawn Care Nut Twitter. I should come up, or Alan Hain Twitter, and I should come up. That's the best place to reach me. Tweet me questions, tweet me pictures, or just say hello. With that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, and I'll see you in the lawn.